Welcome to Alabama Short Stories, when you're a little behind on your Alabama history. I'm your host, Sean Wright. Who doesn't love a parade? Parades are a great thing. They have floats, marching bands, and balloons. Maybe there are horses with riders carrying flags, clowns, and who knows what else. Some of the more famous parades in the United States are the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York City and the Rose Parade in Pasadena, California. Chicago has a St. Patrick's Day Parade where they turn the Chicago River green. There are inauguration parades in Washington, D.C. and Montgomery. Mobile and New Orleans have many Mardi Gras parades. And in Birmingham, we have the National Veterans Day Parade. Now, before I knew the story of the National Veterans Day Parade, I wondered why Birmingham, of all places, would have the oldest and possibly largest Veterans Day parade in the country. That answer lies in the founding of Veterans Day itself. But we have to go back and talk about the Great War first. The Great War started on June 28, 1914, with the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, the heir to the throne of Austria-Hungary. He and his wife, Duchess Sophie, were assassinated in Sarajevo by Gavrilo Princip, a Bosnian Serb. Princip was a member of Young Bosnia, a separatist movement that wanted Bosnia and Herzegovina to be free of Austria-Hungarian rule and establish a Yugoslav state. Archduke Franz Ferdinand was sent to Bosnia by Emperor Franz Joseph to attend military exercises. Earlier in the day of the assassination, a hand grenade was thrown at the Archduke's motorcade, missing his car but damaging the following vehicle and injuring its passengers. What should have been a strong warning was ignored. Ferdinand seemed unconcerned, telling the governor, So you welcome your guest with bombs. He was concerned with the injured members of his party and wanted to see them at the hospital. The motorcade set out again, and when the driver realized he had gone the wrong way, he started backing down the street, creating a traffic jam. Gavrilo Princip had been sitting in a cafe and saw his opportunity. He crossed the road, approached the couple, and shot them at point-blank range. This act set off the July Crisis, a series of interrelated diplomatic and military escalations among the major powers in Europe. Alliances and treaties had been signed among countries agreeing to support and help each other, leading to this crisis. Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia on June 28, 1914, and Europe took sides, creating two coalitions. The Allies were France, the United Kingdom, Russia, Italy, and Japan. They fought against the Central Powers, which included Austria-Hungary, Germany, the Ottoman Empire, and Bulgaria. Both sides thought this outbreak of hostilities would soon be over, but instead, it lasted four years, and millions of people lost their lives. The United States tried very hard to stay out of the conflict. It supported the Allies with war material, but declaring itself neutral. As the U.S. shipped materials across the Atlantic, German U-boats would harass and torpedo any ship they encountered. Ships refused to make the trip, and trade suffered. American citizens would be killed in the sinking of the Lusitania and the SS Arabic over the next few years. Still, President Woodrow Wilson would not be brought into the conflict. And on April 6, 1917, three years after the war started, the U.S. declared war on Germany and joined the Allies. The American Expeditionary Force was not the fighting machine we think about from World War II. This army was still fighting in a way common before 1914, but how war was conducted had changed significantly in three years. 
U.S. commanders were slow to accept change, and by the time they worked it out, the U.S. had suffered significant casualties. Many Alabamians fought in the war. One of them was Osmond Kelly Ingram. Ingram was from Aniana, and he entered the Navy in 1903. He was a gunner's mate first class on the USS Casson when the U.S. entered the war. On October 15, 1917, the Casson was attacked by a German U-boat, and Ingram spotted a torpedo coming towards the ship. It was headed straight for the depth charges. He ran to the position and jettisoned the depth charges so they would not worsen the explosion. He was blown overboard by the torpedo and died. Ingram was awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously for his actions. He also had the distinction of being the first American enlisted man killed in action in World War I. Kelly Ingram Park in downtown Birmingham is named in his honor. By 1918, the war was ending with central power countries surrendering. The last country was Germany, and an armistice was signed on November 11, 1918. On the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, a ceasefire went into effect. The Treaty of Versailles would be signed the following year, officially ending the war. It was the end of the Great War. There was no need to call the conflict World War I because surely Europe wouldn't go through that again, would they? The following year, President Wilson signed a proclamation commemorating the end of fighting in the Great War, marking November 11th as Armistice Day. In an address to the nation on Armistice Day, Wilson said, To us in America, the reflections of Armistice Day will be filled with solemn pride in the heroism of those who died in the country's service and with gratitude for the victory, both because of the thing from which it has freed us and because of the opportunity it has given America to show her sympathy with peace and justice in the councils of nations. Congress passed a resolution in 1926 urging governors to support the holiday, and it became a national holiday in 1938. In the British Commonwealth, it's known as Remembrance Sunday, the Sunday closest to November 11th. You may have seen the red poppy worn to honor the contributions of British and Commonwealth soldiers who served in the war. On December 2, 1918, Capitol Park in downtown Birmingham was renamed in honor of Woodrow Wilson's handling of the war and its conclusion. Peace would last two short decades before Europe was plunged into war again in 1939. The United States entered the war in Europe and the Pacific on December 11, 1941. World War II required more soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines than ever in our nation's history. Four long years later, Germany surrendered on May 8, 1945, followed by the surrender of Japan on August 15, 1945. Raymond Weeks grew up in Birmingham, graduated from Inslee High School and Birmingham Southern College. He enlisted in the U.S. Navy in 1942 and served for the duration of the war. When he returned to Birmingham, he got an idea to expand Armistice Day, a day set aside to honor those who served in World War I and include veterans of all wars. He founded the National Veterans Day Volunteer Organization in 1947 to help make this happen. Weeks led a delegation to Washington, D.C. to urge then-Army Chief of Staff General Dwight Eisenhower to help create a national holiday that honored all veterans. A telegram was sent to President Truman asking the same. Weeks returned to Birmingham to lead the Armistice Day Parade in 1947. He called it Veterans Day, setting the stage for future celebrations. On November 11, 1947, Birmingham's Veterans Day celebration started with a parade. Despite rain showers, thousands of people jammed the parade route, 
They were on sidewalks and rooftops and leaning out windows as the procession took more than an hour to parade by. A giant of a man led the parade. Seven feet one inch tall Marion Urquhart led the parade dressed as Uncle Sam, followed by Fort Benning's army band, General Gorgas Drum and Bugle Corps, and more than a dozen tanks. Confetti rained from the windows along with the rain that had held off just long enough for the parade to start. Truckloads of soldiers passed and Navy and Marine units marched on foot. Flags from all 57 United Nations member countries were held by persons born in those countries. There were floats, including one replicating the flag raising at Iwo Jima. Eleven high school bands and the Alabama Boys Industrial School Band marched. The parade was reviewed by General Omar Bradley and dignitaries from the balcony of the Tutwiler Hotel. At 11 a.m., the parade halted, and there was a moment of silence before a 21-gun salute was fired in Woodrow Wilson Park, now known as Lynn Park. The spectacle would set in motion a parade that continues today. That afternoon, the 1947 Armistice football game was held at Legion Field. It featured local team Shades Cahaba High School against Powerhouse Aliceville High School. This event greatly interested me because of my other podcast, the Shades Cahaba Oral History Project. It was produced to celebrate Shades Cahaba School's centennial in 2020. But back to the game. The hype was overwhelming as Shades Cahaba and Aliceville were undefeated going into the game. The rain did not let up for the game, and General Omar Bradley gave a speech at halftime. Birmingham News reporter Joe Justice wrote, This looks like the big one, so the Mounties aren't likely to be in a losing mood. With Aliceville of the same mind, how can the general fail to get his money's worth? Unfortunately, this was not Shades Cahaba's day, as Aliceville won 18-6. Legion Field was an appropriate place to hold an Armistice Day football game. A contest to name the stadium was held, and the name Legion Field was chosen to honor the American Legion, an organization of U.S. veterans. At the south entrance are stairs flanked by sleeping lions, sculpted in limestone in front of columns with flagpoles on top. The Birmingham American Legion Post No. 1 mounted bronze plaques to the columns in 1929 that listed the names of all those from Alabama who made the supreme sacrifice in the World War 1917 to 1918. That night, the World Peace Dinner was held with more speeches, followed by an Armistice Day ball at the Municipal Auditorium. The day's events were a huge success. That first meeting with Eisenhower months before was not immediately successful, but they did meet with the right man. Six years later, Eisenhower was elected the 34th President of the United States, and Raymond Weeks' efforts finally paid off, when the president signed a bill to recognize Veterans Day as a national holiday on June 1, 1954. Organizations recognized Raymond Weeks for his role in creating the holiday, but none so great as the one he received in 1982. President Ronald Reagan awarded Weeks the Presidential Citizenship Medal, recognizing him as the driving force behind the national holiday and the father of Veterans Day. This morning we're honoring an American patriot Raymond Weeks of Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama. For more than 50 years, Mr. Weeks has exemplified the finest traditions of American volunteerism by his unselfish service to his country. As director of the National Veterans Day celebration in Birmingham, for the past 36 years, Raymond Weeks, a World War II veteran himself, 
has devoted his life to serving others, his community, the American veteran, and his nation. He was the driving force behind the congressional action which in 1954 established this special holiday as a day to honor all American veterans. It's a pleasure for me to present Mr. Weeks the Presidential Citizens Medal given to those who have made outstanding contributions to their country. And Mr. Weeks, in honoring you, we honor the ideals that we hope to live up to. Your country is mighty grateful for what you've done. Weeks continued to lead the National Veterans Day Parade until his passing in 1985. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Alabama Short Stories Podcast. You can continue to support the show by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you haven't subscribed, do it so you don't miss an episode. You can also support the show by purchasing the companion book, Alabama Short Stories Volume 1, featuring the first three seasons of the podcast. You can purchase it at Amazon.com, Bookshop.org, and other online bookstores. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time on Alabama Short Stories.